sing bass one day. He's definitely grown up already. There are decisions that I can't make on my own. And there are trials I can't face all But you said you'd walk with me down life's troubled road, and you said, Come unto me, I'll bear your heavy load. I need you more today than I did yesterday. Mountains are
of you know that back in my former life we were peanut farmers and uh, we were uh, we weren't farming the biggest farmer in in Oklahoma but we were farming about 300 acres of peanuts back there that's a lot of peanuts and uh, I remember a story back there about something that happened in Enterprise Alabama uh, cotton was a king back in the early uh, late 1800s early 1900s it was the cash crop and the, the economy kind of revolved around that that cash crop there in that area of Alabama the soil was perfect for cotton sandy soil but in the early 1900s something began to happen boll weevils began to migrate out of Mexico and across uh, the southern part of the United States and in the, around the 1909 somewhere in there it, the, the boll weevils devastated the cotton crop the entire economy collapsed in that area because of a little bug, the bow weevil. And uh, someone got the idea, began to search for another uh, crop that would grow well, and it turns out that peanuts were the crop. And it turned out that peanuts were much, such a much better cash crop than the cotton ever was that the economy flourished again. And so the community, uh, in honor of the bow weevil, a thing that that uh, devastated and looked like it was going to cause destruction, people were going to lose their farms and homes and those kind of things, uh, turned out to be for their good. And so they erected a statue of a boll weevil in Enterprise, Alabama. As far as I know, it, it's still there, this statue of this big boll weevil, to remind them that God really can work all things together for good. He can make a way where there seems to be no way. And... Uh, now, if Antifa, we see on the news that Antifa's tearing down a bow evil statue in Enterprise, Alabama, we'll know that the world really has gone crazy. <laughs> but God can make a way.
already done for me up there wasn't he uh, I cut the congregation music a little bit short stay up here for a minute Daniel I'd uh, ask Daniel uh, had something else in mind this morning but I Lord put it on my heart to ask Daniel to share his testimony this morning and uh, 
most of you don't know that uh, Daniel, you hold three world titles in wrestling, right? Was on the U.S. wrestling team, and then he had surrendered to be a missionary when he was 12 and got away from the Lord, and then the Lord brought him back. I wanted to share how that God brought him from a... a uh, I'm sure you'll think of something. But listen, you're testifying. I'm preaching. No, no, it's my turn to preach today. And uh, people all over the world have heard him share his testimony, but most of you haven't, so I wanted him to share that. You've got five minutes. Turn with me to... Mo no, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, well, he, he pretty much told everything. I don't know what I've got left to say. Adam, you got a testimony? So I, I wrestled a lot when I was little. My mom, right over there, used to take me all over the country. I mean, I, don't, I can't even imagine how much it cost to travel. It was every weekend of every week I was wrestling somewhere. Um, I was pretty good at it. I, I didn't lose very often, and when I did, it wasn't pretty. Um, but uh, I did surrender to ministry when I was 12 years old at Falls Creek. Uh, I walked down the aisle, and I uh, surrendered to be a missionary in Africa. That's what I decided I was going to do, and uh, continued about my life and went to church all through high school until about my senior year. In my senior year, I got a scholarship to go to UCO and wrestle, uh, which was a really, really, really good school, place that every, like, wrestler, especially in Oklahoma, if you're not going to OSU, you want to go to UCO, and UCO is kind of this feeder school for OSU, and uh, I know there's a lot of OU fans here, but if you're a wrestler, OSU is where you go. Like, that's the most dominant school uh, for wrestling, especially, or, or if you want national titles, OSU is where it's at. I'm just saying, you can get mad if you want, but it's just the truth. OSU has more national titles. Anyway, we'll get off that. <laughs> Maybe you should come back up here. <laughs> Um, so I, I went and wrestled, and um, I got kind of this big head. I thought I was uh, this big, giant stud, and I walked in, and uh, I wrestled the, the guy who was the former national champion, or the national champion the year before, uh, was wrestling at my weight, and uh, I actually beat him my very first day of practice, uh, and so I was in line to actually wrestle for UCO my first year. I wasn't going to redshirt. I was going to kind of do this thing, and uh my very first tournament, uh, like I said, I, don't lose, I didn't lose very often. My very first tournament as a college wrestler, uh, my very first match, I caught uh, OU's assistant coach, who just so happens to be like the reigning silver Olympic medalist. So he was very good, and um, he beat me two ways from Sunday. Um, like, I've never been beat so bad in my life. My mom probably remembers that. I got tech falled uh, in wrestling. That tech fall is run-ruled. Uh, like, I got beat by 60. If you're, if you're a basketball fan, uh, it was 99 to, like, 20. Uh, if you're a football fan, it was 100 to 14. It was bad. Like, I got smoked. Um, and I remember I came out of that match, and I, I didn't know what, like, in my mind, I've never been beat like that. It was another level. You have to understand, I was 18. This dude was 27. Uh, you know, on a, just a different level, I wasn't quite there yet. And um, my next match, I actually wrestled the uh the the reigning ncaa champion from osu uh who also wrestled in the olympics about four years later uh at heavyweight and uh he uh i remember right before that match started my coach looked at me and said if you can win this match you will be set they will be coming for you this is your dream 
this is what you've worked your whole life for. Go beat this guy. And uh, my, my mom was there. My mom and my dad were both there. Um, and they were sitting in the stands. And I knew I could beat this guy. I went out and I was wrestling him. And I was doing pretty well. And uh, right before the match ended, he decided that he was going to try one last move to throw me. And when he did, I, I kind of landed wrong. And uh, he hit my elbow. And my hand ended up touching the back of my shoulder right back here. And uh, I'm trying to rush through this. This is hard. Um, and the, the only thing I remember about the whole situation is I was setting it. If you've been to Lloyd Noble at OU's basketball arena, I was on the very end. And the only thing I remember is them walking up and saying, okay, your elbow is dislocated. And I'm sitting there like this and my arm is down. And um, them saying, we're going to pop it back into place. And I was like, right now? And they're like, yeah, right here. And I was like, no, you're not going to do that. And they're like, yes, we are. And I'm like, no, you're not. And they're like, why not? And I was like, because my mom is right there. And I don't want her to hear what I'm going to say when you pop my arm back into place. And they were like, are you serious? And I was like, yes. So I ended up walking all the way across Lloyd Noble with my arm all the way in the wrong direction. Um, they ended up popping it back into place. And they sent me about my way. Um, the next day I found out that uh, something had gone wrong and my arm swelled up real big and I, I lost all feeling in my arm. Uh, I ended up having something called chamber syndrome. Um, long story short, it was basically not a good thing. And I was told by a specialist that if it happens again, there's a chance they could cut my arm off. Now, my boys never believed that, that that, that actually happened until Adrian tore his ACL and we went to an orthopedic surgeon for his ACL and they asked what happened and I told them about my elbow and they were like, oh, they could have cut your arm off. And he was like, oh, so you weren't lying the whole time. And I was like, no, I wasn't. Um, and so they kind of told me, hey, you, your wrestling career is done. Um, and at that moment in my life, uh, wrestling was everything. I'd given up everything for that. Um, like that was my life, that was my career path. It's what I told everyone I wanted to do with my life. I had prepped my whole life to do that. And in an instant, it was over just like that. And I remember kind of going into a depressive state and uh, not really talking to anybody. I, I didn't talk to my mother at all, and I'm a mama's boy, like I just am through and through. Uh, I, uh, I had a girlfriend at the time, and I stopped talking to her, and uh, we just kind of didn't, did, we just broke up. We didn't do anything. Uh, I, I just, I, I lost, I went from 285 pounds to about 161 pounds in about three and a half months. Um, I, I was just sick and gross, and Things were just bad. It wasn't a good situation. And uh, I remember one day, it was about three weeks after it happened, there was a knock on my door. And uh, I've taken up five minutes, so I'm done. <clears throat> Turn to Mark. No, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, there was a knock on my door, and I remember opening the door, and, and it was one of the guys I had wrestled with. And I was living in Edmond at the time, and I was working somewhere. And uh, I opened the door, and there was this guy. His name was Nathan. And he knocked on my door, and I opened it, and he said, Daniel, God, God told me that I'm supposed to pray with you and take you to church. And um, I remember thinking how odd it was that this guy knocked on my door, so much so that I told him no and slammed it in his face. And uh, I remember thinking to myself that, uh, that I just couldn't believe that God would take my dream away. And uh, the next day, at about the same time, there was a knock on my door, and I opened it, and it was Nathan again telling me that he needed to pray for me and take me to church. And I told him no, and I slammed the door in his face. And the next day, there's a knock on my door. It's Nathan telling me the same thing. And every day for three and a half months, pretty much, I slammed the door in this guy's face and told him no. 
I was not going to go. But every day for three and a half months, this guy showed up and knocked on my door to the point that I was angry about it. Like, I was mad. And um, I remember that day that he came for the last time. I walked to the door, and I was waiting for him. I knew he was coming. And right before he could knock, I opened the door, and I told him, I said, listen. I said, I'll go anywhere you want, and I'll do anything you want if you promise to never knock on my door again. I was like, you just leave me alone. And he said, great, get in the car. Now, this is a Saturday. I didn't know they even had church on Saturday at that point in my life, but apparently his church did. And uh, so he's like, get in my car. I got in his car, and he drove me to church, and um, he listened to Christian music the whole way and sang and laughed, and I sat all mad and angry the whole time. And uh, he walked me down the center aisle, and he set me in a seat right about here. And uh, he asked me if I was comfortable, and I said yes. And he said, okay, I'll see you later, and he left. So he put me in the front row, and then he left and by myself, and I sat right in the front and, uh, with my arms crossed, and they sang their songs, and they did their thing, and I sat there with my arms crossed, mad and angry, and uh, didn't really care. I can't even tell you what songs they sang. I can't even tell you what the preacher's sermon was about. The preacher stood up there and preached for what seemed like two and a half hours. And, uh, which is what you might get today after this is over. Um, and I remember just sitting there, and, and I can't tell you anything the man said. Can't tell you anything. Um, but I remember just right in the middle of his sermon, he read a verse. It was Matthew eleven twenty eight, And it says, come to me if you're tired and if you're weary. Come to me if you've got nothing left. And it's Jesus speaking. He's saying, come to me if you're burdened, if there's something weighing you down. If there's something that just you can't take anymore, it says, come to Jesus, and he'll give you rest. And it just suddenly occurred to me that I was lost, and I was broken, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was just tired, and I was weary. And, uh, and I remember not hearing a single thing that man said after that. It's the only thing I heard was that one verse. And I remember he opened up the altar right after that, and like literally it was from like here to there. It was about the same length. And I sprinted. Now, I'm 200-pound man sprinting at another guy from six feet away. I'm sure he was very uh, excited, yeah. And, um, and I remember just looking at him and telling him that I was lost and that I, I, I was weary and I was tired and I just needed to come to Jesus. And at that moment, I suddenly realized that I knew who Jesus was, but I'd never had that relationship with him. I knew his name, but I didn't know who he was to me and what he'd done for me. And um, at that point in my life, uh, things began to turn around. Actually, about three weeks later, I met a girl named Cassie um, and uh, found out her parents were missionaries after we met. Um, about four months after that, Cassie and I were engaged. About four months after that, Cassie and I were married. Um, and in that time span, I went on my first mission trip. I uh, began to preach. I became a youth minister not too far after that. And uh, it, it was like a complete 180 from where I was as this cocky wrestler who thought he could conquer the world by himself uh, to this man who realized he was lost and broken and had nothing without Jesus. Um, I don't know what else you want me to say. Um, without preaching, I don't know. I, I got to. Thank you. Did you catch that, that he didn't know what we did when he met Cassie? And. Uh, in fact, I took him to Mexico not long after they met, and he made the comment later that, that uh, I could have just left him in Mexico, and he'd have never found his way home. 
A couple of times I've wished I'd have done that, but no, no not really. <laughs> I didn't mean that, Mama. Uh, I'm thankful that God brought him into our lives, and uh, God's been using him all over the world. And uh, he, I just wanted to share how that God can take a bad situation and turn it around for our good and for his glory. There have been many people that Daniel is, in his preaching has led to the Lord around the world and here in the United States as well. Uh, but it took a long path. It took a long time, a lot of things to bring him to that point. Romans 8.28 says, For we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and those who are called according to his purpose. So how many things work together for our good and for his glory? All things. It doesn't say everything but a pandemic that's affecting the whole world or whatever kind of crisis came along in your life. Maybe it's loss or betrayal by family members even or, or whatever it might be, too much month and not enough money or whatever it might be going on in your life today. God is able. And nothing catches him by surprise. And it might be that when we're going through a crisis of some kind that God is trying to get our attention or uh, to the point to bring us to a point where we will turn to him and surrender our lives to him completely and begin to serve him in a way that we've never served him before. Now, uh, I said me and Jan were, were peanut farmers back there. Our kids were young and, and uh, Cassie was still at home. In fact, uh, Cassie grew up on that peanut farm down there, down there. Daniel said the only reason that he really married Cassie was because she could uh, back a trailer and weld. I don't know how true that is, but, uh, uh, but God can work all things together. Whatever's going on in your life, he can really work all things together for your good and for his glory somewhere down the line. That doesn't mean that it will be fun on that journey. Uh, there will be some low places in life, that dry times in life that, that's hard to explain and may have even, even trouble feeling like you're communicating with God. But I want to tell you that, that God is still there. And he can use those dry times to teach you things that you can't learn anywhere else. I've been through those. Jan and I have been through those kind of uh, trying circumstances that seemed like that all hope was gone. But when we turned to Jesus, he would come through just in the nick of time and teach us things that we couldn't have learned anywhere else. We're going to look in Genesis chapter 37. Uh, Daniel didn't take all of my time, so you'll buckle up. We're going to go pretty quick this morning and look at the life of Joseph and how that that God used him to deliver the nation of Israel in time. Now, I want to read just a few verses that we begin in chapter 37 of Genesis. And uh, now, Joseph was the son of Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac. Isaac, the son of, of Abraham, if you remember his, his history. Uh, and now, in the first verse, it says, Now, Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old. Now, Joseph at this time, the Bible says there that, that he gives us his age. He was just 17 years old. He was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilthah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a, a, a bad report of them to his father. So here is Joseph. He's just 17 years old. He's, uh, he, he's the youngest at that time. Uh, of 11 brothers and he's a tattletale the Bible says he had gone out uh, with his brothers feeding the flock and 
and he brought uh, he came back this 17 year old kid and brought back a bad report for, for, for on his brother so because of those things and, and along with the fact that that Joseph was his his father's favorite and uh, the father his father showed a lot of favoritism toward uh, toward Joseph now in that day in that culture uh, it was customary that the oldest son would, re would receive the most favor, in fact, would receive a double uh, inheritance uh, later on in life. But, but at this time, uh, Joseph was his father's favor. And, and the Bible goes on to say that, that, uh, that, that he made, this father made him a, a coat of many colors, a tunic or like a royal robe. So it was a very beautiful robe that... that uh, Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Well, it, it, it just threw more gas on the fire as far as the other bro brothers were. And now, the, the name Jacob uh, actually means deceiver. So it's kind, of, it's kind of a dysfunctional family to begin with, beginning with the father. And now, now the, uh, the brothers are all angry with Joseph because he's, the, he's daddy's youngest, his little boy, and, and uh, shows favor to them, kind of like. Daniel, he was the youngest of your family, right? Uh, but here Joseph uh, was the youngest. And God chose him to prepare him to deliver uh, the nation of Israel uh, in a later time and fulfill prophecies that were given, promises that were made to Abraham, uh, his ancestor, years before to make the nation of Israel a great nation and the number is even the stars of the sky, so many that could not be numbered. And so there is Joseph, 17 years old. And, and then uh, Joseph has this dream about sheaves. In verse 7, there, were, there, there we were binding sheaves in, 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 the, in the field. And then behold, a sheaf arose and stood upright. And indeed, the, your sheaves stood around and bowed down to my sheaves. So now the interpretation of that was that... that uh, Joseph's brothers were going to bow down to him one day. So you think that made the brothers happy? And, uh, and so they began to be more angry and more angry about him. Now the brothers go, and in fact, he had another dream of where even his father and many people around the world would bow down to him. And he told that to his father, and his father kind of corrected him and scolded him when he uh, began to share that uh, with them. Shall we indeed bow down to you, is what his brothers were thinking. So they, uh, the brothers were off in the field, uh, tending the sheep, and Jacob, the dad, sent Joseph over to check on them. And the brothers were already angry with him, and they saw him coming, and they made a plan to kill him. But uh, Reuben, the oldest, uh, uh, convinced them that they would just throw him in a pit and leave him there, and that Reuben could come back and get him out and take him home, because... As the eldest, it was his responsibility to take care of the other brothers. Now, I've, I've seen a pit like uh, it's talking about there. I think it was in somewhere in Asia, maybe India. And there were some people that were digging a well. And over there, it's not just a little four or five inch hole in the ground. It was, it was like uh, 15 foot across, 10 or 15 foot across, straight down. And the, the way they were digging this thing, the men were, a couple of men were in the bottom with picks and shovels, and uh, they uh, made stairs in the sidewall, and the women were carrying the dirt and the rocks out in a basket on top of their head while these guys were in the bottom digging. But the walls on this thing were straight down, so that had to be the same kind of pit that, that they threw 
that they threw uh, Joseph into there in that day. And so, and then a, a caravan of traders, Ishmaelites, came by and the brothers decided, well, we, there's no profit if we kill him. So they sold him as a slave. So now Joseph has gone from being a brother, the most favored of his father, to a slave. Ishmaelites sold him to Potiphar in Egypt. But the Bible says, let's look at one verse as we look on over in the scripture there. 39 and verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. You see, even, even in, in slavery, Joseph went from the favor to in the bottom of a pit to being sold to Ishmaelites and then sold to be a slave in Potiphar's house. Uh, I wonder some of the things, I wonder if there was any, any doubt that came through uh, Joseph mind, Joseph's mind while he was along the way. He was human, so I'm sure that there were some doubts that, that were there, but the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph in whatever he did. And everything that he did was as unto the Lord. It wound up that everything that Potiphar had was placed into Joseph's hands. He was in control of everything, the household, the finances, everything, all but one thing, his wife, Potiphar's wife. The Bible goes on to say that, that Potiphar's wife had longing eyes for Joseph and began to make advances toward him. But, but uh, I, was, I was looking at, uh, at why Joseph would be so faithful to God in those kind of circumstances. It was his commitment to God. It wasn't his, his uh, commitment to Potiphar that caused him to be faithful and to not uh, take uh, Potiphar's wife it was his commitment to God you see God he knew that God knew everything Potiphar might not find out but God would know uh, there's some verses over in Luke that uh, that talks about that everything there was not anything that's covered that will not be revealed and this is only in the New Testament but but uh, Joseph knew that he knew that that no matter what he did that God knew about it and that he, his commitment to God was stronger than the desires that he had in that day. Well, then the story goes on that, uh, that uh, he was betrayed by Potiphar's wife. You remember the story and was thrown into prison. And now he's in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph wherever he went. And uh, he was placed in charge of several things in the prison. And then the... Uh, the, the uh, butler and the baker, if you remember the story, that, that uh, Pharaoh uh, threw the, the butler and the baker in prison and wound up in, under Joseph's charge. And then they begin to have dreams. And, uh, you know, a dream, God can speak to us through dreams sometime. I've probably told you this story uh, several times that uh, Jan and I were on our way to Kenya. And... Uh, friend just called and wanted us to uh, go with him and I uh, didn't pray about it I just knew that we were supposed to go so we time came we got on the airplane and went to Nairobi then got on the airplane to go to a place called Kisumu Kenya where we go uh, should be there today but uh, 
because of the virus, we're grounded. And uh, my friend handed me a magazine that had a story about President Obama's grandmother. And he handed me this story. I looked at it, saw her picture, and the Lord just really began to quicken my heart that we needed to find her. So we got on the ground, and, and uh, we, I asked the guy that's coordinating for us if he knew where she lived. And he said, yes, this is her hometown. She just lives a few miles out of town. I said, uh, I want to go there this week sometime. And he was real busy. It was his first time to meet us, first time to coordinate for us, and uh, those kind of things. So it just wasn't working out. Well, Wednesday the next week, uh, uh, I began to, uh, I think it was about Wednesday or Thursday, all night long, every time that I closed my eyes, I kept having this dream. I kept seeing this woman that, that I saw in the magazine and I kept hearing her say, I want to know this God of America, over and over again. And we get up the next morning, and Jan, Jan says, well, I was having the craziest dream last night. She was dreaming the exact same thing that I was dreaming. And so now it's a Macedonian call, and we got to go find this woman and try to share Christ with her. And in the dream, I was not in the dream. Jan was there, and she was sharing Christ. And normally, you know, if I'm there, she backs up and... and uh, I share the gospel most of the time, not always these days, but uh, then Thursday I began to get sick, and Friday I was just really ill, and uh, decided to go down to the pharmacy, try to find some medicine, and we did, and I just called for a random car to come pick us up and uh, take us to the pharmacy. On the way back, I leaned over, and uh, this guy's name, the driver, his name was William. He's become very good friends of ours. He calls me Daddy, and... Uh, He's from Kenya, Africa. You can really see the resemblance when we're together. And uh, we uh, uh, got, back, uh, got back to the hotel. I leaned over the, the car seat, and I, said, I asked him the same question. Do you know where she lived? And he said, well, I was just there a few weeks ago. When do you want to go? I said, well, let me, uh, let me uh, see how I'm feeling in the morning. And I got his phone number, and there was a guy selling trinkets in the parking lot, and Jan asked about a Bible in the... Luo language that would be her language there in that area and uh, the next morning I was so sick I couldn't leave the room and I just felt like that somebody needed to go so I asked Jan and Stephen if they would go so uh, they said yes I called for the taxi to come and he was already in the parking lot waiting and uh, they went downstairs the Bible is on the front desk in 45 minutes there in front of her house uh, President Obama's grandmother and they had to go through the guard shack and all kinds of things to get in and they went and asked permission and they said well she has to leave in about 15 minutes so you got that much time somebody's coming for her and uh, she was an 80 year old Muslim and uh, she came out came straight to Jan and Jan began to share uh, with her why she came and through the translator a young man named Nelson uh, her grandson that was a Christian, uh, Jan, uh, Mama Sarah stopped Jan and says, wait a minute, are you talking about Jesus? And Jan said, yes, he brought me here to ask you, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven one day? And Mama Sarah says, I've been thinking about that. Listen, it, uh, just through that dream, God led us uh, to that place to share the gospel with, with that lady in that place, one person, maybe the only person that we were there for. Uh, accepted Christ as a personal Savior. God can speak to you 
in many ways. It can use any kind of circumstance uh, to uh, mature you and bring you to a place where God can use you. So the butler and the baker had dreams, and uh, they knew that Joseph could interpret their dreams, and the way that he uh, translated those dreams happened exactly that way. One was killed, and the other was put back in, in uh, Pharaoh's house. And the only request that, that Joseph had was, when you get back there, remember me. I'm still here in prison. And, uh, but God used that in Joseph's life. Uh, the story goes on that they forgot about Joseph. Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream that they're going to be in, and uh, the translation was that they're going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of drought, and uh, that someone need to be in position to store up grain for seven years before this drought happens. And as it turns out, uh, they remembered that Joseph could interpret dreams, so he was called up, and then he was placed in charge of, uh, of storing up grain for seven years, and then seven years of famine came along. And during that famine, uh, Joseph's family came looking for food. And I didn't know that Joseph was still alive. Now, Joseph went from a seven-year-old tattletale. Uh, that's been... 37 years now, that 37 years old, he's 37 years old at this point, 20 years later, from a 17-year-old boy, tattletale that was thrown in a pit, rejected by his family, sold as a slave, thrown into prison because of false witness, false testimony, uh, forgotten by those that promised to remember him. I remember a uh, being in uh, doing some prison ministry several years ago in McAllister, there was a young African American man there that uh, was with the small group that we had, and I could help but notice that everywhere that he went in the prison, that people recognized him. And so, as I got to know him, I asked him what was going on, and I'm telling you that the spirit of God was just on this young man, and it was like he was a hero when he walked in, and. Uh, he said that when he was uh, younger, five or six year, years earlier, that he was falsely accused, thrown into prison, and, and then uh, uh, two weeks later, uh, after he got thrown into prison, somebody came to him prison ministry, somebody like, somebody like Rusty and Jimmy, and shared the gospel, and this young man got saved and gave him a Bible. And he said the next five years was like a seminary for me, that God, all I did was study God's word and and immerse myself in God's word and then DNA testing became popular and he, he was, it was discovered that he was innocent and was released. And so all the prisoners thought, well, this is a guy that really got out of here, that was falsely accused and really got out. So he was like a hero to them. And uh, I, just, I just liked standing by this young man because when I stand by him and he shares testimony, I'm telling you, the, the hair would stand up on my arms uh, as I heard his story about how that God had brought him from where he was to being back. God called him back to go back into prisons from where he was back into prisons to be a minister to those where he had been. 
It's much like the, the story of, of Joseph. You see that his brothers meant all of that for evil for him, but God meant it for good. He can take all things, everything that comes along in your life, he can take it and turn it around for, for your good and for his glory. You may not understand how that he can do that if you're in a position today where there's adversity of some kind, but God will allow adversity sometimes to drive us from where we are to where he wants us to be. And it's not necessarily, not necessarily uh, geographical. It might be spiritual. That uh, God used a dislocated arm to drive Daniel from where he was to where God wanted him to be to preaching to the nations of the world. And... Uh, God used prison to the African-American young man to take him from where he was to uh, being a minister and going back into prison. God can change every, every situation that you're in. He's never too late. Uh, he's always right on time. So today, if uh, God's been speaking to you about anything, maybe you've been troubled about the things that are going on in our world today, First thing we need to do is turn off the news. <laughs> you know, turn off the bad news that's going on in the world today. Get in God's Word and spend time with Him. Uh, listen to God's voice, that still small voice that, that will direct and teach us and train us. And listen to the preaching of the Word and the things that God is saying to you during that time and apply it to your life. Obey what God has for you to do, uh, whatever that is. It might be a quiet time and time to spend time with God, but obedience brings favor from the king. Let me say that again. Obedience to God brings favor from him. And he can bring favor in your life, no matter what's going on. You might think, well, there's no way I can get out of this situation. He can take you from the pit to the palace and turn your situation around. Well, let's stand together. We're just going to have a short invitation time this morning. Jess is just going to play. Every head bowed and every eye closed, and maybe today that uh, you need to return to God. Don't really understand what's going on in your life, but you know that God's doing something. It might be today that you need to accept Christ as your personal Savior. You've never been born again. Today, maybe it's what God's trying to get your attention about that you need to be saved, born again, turn your life over to Him. You can be saved today. Maybe you just need to turn your life over to Him and surrender. Make a commitment to draw closer to Him. Whatever it is today, as God speaks to your heart in the quietness of this moment, 